Hey there, it's Lynn Fenetti here, and today I'd like you to meet my guest, Trevor Keane, an EO Adelaide member and the CEO and founder of Conscious Healthcare SA. Trevor is a highly qualified physiotherapist with a master's degree in physiotherapy. He's also a prominent figure in the healthcare and disability industry with a specialization in the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or NDIS in Australia. Trevor is not only a healthcare expert, but also a podcast host. He runs a podcast titled The Journey to Conscious Healthcare and has a deep passion for psychology. Now, in today's episode, we will delve into Trevor's remarkable journey where he transformed his one-man business into a thriving team of 40 members in just four years. He started his marketing efforts with just door-to-door tactics and evolved into a recognized thought leader by leveraging social media and podcasting. Trevor will generously share valuable insights on how you can scale your business using podcasting and content marketing strategies. So please join me in extending a warm welcome to Trevor. Hey, Trevor, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you going? Love to see you. I'm good. I'm keen to interview <laughs> you today. Let's do it. So before we get into the topic of you know, the marketing strategy and the current podcasting that you're doing. I really want to backtrack and understand a little bit about how you got started in the business in the first place and, you know, run us through a little bit about the actual services that your business does. Fantastic. Well, I suppose a bit of an interesting backdrop is so we're called Conscious Healthcare SA, which uh, there's a bit of a journey to getting to the story of where we are today because it started out as Trevor Keen Health Services and that marketing team got fired. No good that name. Uh, so we, we progressed through. Uh, and Conscious Healthcare SA is, is what we are. And fundamentally, what do we do? Uh, we breed hope and inspiration for participants to live the life that they want. So we work within the NDIS, um, which is widely talked about at the moment, the whole Royal Commission and lots of other different things happening. And uh, the NDIS is National Disability Insurance Scheme. And how do we do it? Well, we do that through allied health services. Put simplistically, physio, OT, dietitian, social work, developmental education and positive behaviour support. So all your allied health needs in one. And what we do is we go predominantly out into the community, although we've got a couple of clinics. I mean, one of them at the moment, which is in Seacliff in South Australia. And yeah, we breed open inspiration by fundamentally facilitating independence. So it's really fun uh, to be able to see participants, patients, uh, fundamentally go from wherever their journey is and work with them to then achieve that goals. Uh, so that's what we do. We've got a team of about 40 people now, which is really good fun. Uh, and we started at me just in the back of the car, literally driving along all crazy sorts of areas. Uh, and then, yeah, fundamentally, we just got one, two, five, ten. And really, it's been about spreading impact. That's what's really important for me. I'm not so interested in the size or the number of people in the business. It's more about how we're spreading our impact and ripples in the world. So that comes to the name, conscious healthcare, conscious in regards to how we do it. We think it's really important to be deliberate. And then healthcare, well, there's a bit of a lacking of both of those words, health and care. If we look after our people, and we put the right care and concern in regards to make sure we do things the right way, uh, fundamentally you get a great impact. So um, that's how we all came together, uh, and that's our sort of journey today. We've been uh, in business for four years, uh, so it sort of started out from, as I said, it was just me, and now we are a team of 40 people, which has grown over the journey, and we're really excited to be able to continue to provide high-quality healthcare services. So that's a little bit about us. So what was your background like? How did you come up with this opportunity? My background is in physiotherapy. So I've got a master of physiotherapy degree, although I'm probably equally as qualified in psych, not necessarily completely formally. Um, I've always liked psychology and, and that's really what's always had me be quite interested in business because ultimately you would know as a fellow EO member that you know if you own a business and you're going to learn and grow you're going to have all these challenges come up. So my background was physiotherapy. I was working somewhere and 
ultimately I wasn't too happy with the, the care and concern that was getting put into making sure we're doing the right things and the right quality and all that sort of stuff. It became very much conveyor belt model. It's a mm-hmm. churn and burn sort of thing. Um, really didn't have a proper approach that I thought. Most people go to UD and they study physio or OT or any of these allied health degrees. They want to help people and they don't want to just chew them up, like bring them in and spit them out. That's not what it's about. It's really about making sure you change people's lives. And so I really quickly worked out that if I wanted to do that and wanted to do it of high quality in the way that I wanted, I was going to have to do that myself. Timing's everything in business, as, as you'd well know, I'm sure. And fundamentally, the NDIS has only been around for about seven to sort of nine years. It's not been that long around. I mean, I fundamentally started my own business, you know, driving around in the, the car myself. Really got on that wave. There's quite a huge demand at the moment and a lack of supply. You know, when those sort of things line up, it means that there's a a good vehicle for growth um, if that's what you're interested in and also a great opportunity to impact and put your mark on that as well. So that's sort of how mm. we've gone about things. Interesting. And so when you mentioned that you were driving around, can you explain what was that strategy? What do you mean by driving around? What was that marketing strategy? Uh, well, well, so to start with, so the services are provided not necessarily just only in the clinic, they're out in the community. So imagine I go see you in your home, uh, Lynn. So if I go out there and I see you in your home, so I might see you or your son or daughter, um, wherever that might be. So that's what I would do. So we originally did that. And our original strategy started out that we were not charging for travel. So we actually saved the NDIS, I think it was like $1.6 million in travel charges we didn't charge. Uh, I know many people are probably screaming out to me saying, hey, that's really, really dumb. And I mean, yeah, with some respects, maybe it was. Uh, but we won't charge for travel, which then ended up meaning we were cheaper in price, which we know is the lowest form <laughs> of potential strategy, I guess, because it's a race to the bottom. Uh, but what that then ended up meaning was we're attracting people into the company uh, quite quickly and we're able to grow and have the referral base coming quite well because there's a lot of people that were flooding into the sector. And so that's how we originally sort of started out. Uh, but as time sort of went on, well, that wasn't really a sustainable approach because ultimately we've all got overheads and costs and it's got to be sustainable how you approach it. So then we sort of shifted and, and pivoted our strategy a bit more in regards to uh, the quality of the services started becoming uh, the main thing. And, and where we are right now is ease, um, responsiveness and reliability is where we sort of sit as far as our main differentiators compared to other competitors and also a couple other uh, strategic approaches such as the podcast I was telling you about earlier. Yeah. Also, in the early days, you were doing it on your own. And can you describe how you started to grow your team? Like what did the first year look like? And congratulations, first business, four years later, already 40 people team and successful. My journey was not like that. I failed a lot of times. How did your team look like and how did you grow over the years? Well, so originally it was himself. So it was me driving around. And so there was a bit of an interesting approach. It was sending out quite a lot of emails, a lot of cold calling, just learning how to do business, right? So ultimately, first thing you got to do is find a customer. <laughs> and so found a customer, then I found two, then three and four. And turns out I was actually pretty good at networking, getting to know, being somewhat relatable, uh, which is a key uh, skill, I would say, in business. And then before you know it, I was like, all right, well, I can't do this all alone, right? Like, I need to get more people around. So I tapped my brother on the shoulder. So Lachlan came and joined the business and he was working casually for us and started doing some of the finance uh, aspects, the claiming of the services that we're doing, make sure we're getting paid for that. So he did that and that sort of meant I could do more billable hours, um, which is the model that we work in, a a service business. So it's uh, essentially time for money. I know it's not the greatest growth sort of strategy, but that's sort of where we're at. And so it was me and my brother and I would sort of be on a phone call and call a support coordinator up and uh, would have some success and I would sort of run out and give him a big high five and say, yeah, you know, someone's believed in us, which was a really huge moment because, you, you know, someone's got to believe in you to be able to take that first step. 
Uh, and then before you know it, I was like, all right, well, within about three months, I was on probably $200,000, which was really good fun for me. But I was like, well, that wasn't really my drive and my motivator. I always think about looking towards my left and looking towards my right. Who am I helping taking me on this journey as well? Like, it's not just about me. I think that, you know, it's important to have a bigger picture and vision. And so then I was like, all right, well, I'd bring the, the next sort of team member on. So that the only way I could grow was more practitioners. So I uh, had a physiotherapist come on board and then we introduced occupational therapy. And so we slowly started adding in all these services. And the first two services we added was uh, physio, which was my background. And my wife's a dietitian. So my lovely wife, Laura, um, she was our first dietitian in the team. And then we grew out those sort of departments and added occupational therapy into the mix. And so now we've got a bit of a suite of services, but it sort of started one, two, um, and then you just keep sort of growing from there. And obviously just making sure that it's... uh, self-sustaining as well is really important. So you've got enough clients and, and practitioners. I love that. Well, before we get into the podcast and the marketing strategy, love to hear, because you mentioned a few times about you really wanting to help and look on the left, look to the right. Who am I helping? And I love that about you. And so how did you grow up? What was your life like? What made you so in tune with like giving back? My father, when we were growing up, was super cool your shoes together, right? So um, you know, when you're sort of doing that sort of thing, you, you fundamentally don't have a lot of money. And so you don't have a lot of money. What we did have, though, was we felt very loved and appreciated and supported. So that's something that I think is really important and probably actually missing in many regards. Um, today's day and age, we've got you know this uh, abundance of wealth opportunities, all these sorts of things around. I think it's really important to be able to have a good amount of people around you. And, you know, they, they talk about the whole it takes a village, right? So uh, for me, I, I had a few people in my life that were very influential, some mentors and I'm certainly not saying I didn't work for it because I worked harder than many in regards to, to get where I've got. That's been a big part of um, how I've done it. But uh, the main thing is, is having that ability to look beyond yourself and just work out what the bigger picture is here. So like I see, I did a few courses throughout my life. One was the Landmark Forum. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that course. I've heard things about it. Yeah. I've yeah. That. So it, that's completely transformed my life to find out you know, why it is what I do. And what do I get enjoyment out of? And um, that really opened my eyes up to it wasn't just enough to serve me. I had to serve others. And that's also part of my leadership style as well. So servant and also stewardship leadership, uh, which fundamentally means that like as in I want society to go better. I want us to go better. And so if we can sort of do that and put our little dent in the world, that's what we want. So I'm in my background coming from a bit of a poor upbringing. That means that you work together and um, fundamentally I'm really interested in having everyone grow and flourish together. I think it's also why I have such a fundamental love of EO in regards to that we're all doing it together and we're trying to make the world a better place. Definitely. And so let's go into the marketing side of things then. Obviously, you know that in order to help others, you're going to need to grow your business and you're going to do bigger and better, bolder marketing. And so what challenges were you going through that made you decide, okay, I got to try something new, maybe podcasting, maybe like thought leadership and getting myself out there? There was a little bit of research and talking to a few other influential uh, mentors of mine. And I was talking about, well, you know, like as in, why not start podcasting or thought leadership? Uh, there's the book called Key Person of Influence, which is an awesome book. Yeah. And it's one of these really scalable strategies as well. So like I said, if you've got a podcast, you do like what we're doing today. We do this episode and it lives on forever. And so there's only about 1% to 2% of people that actually do much posting. For any individual network you're on, doesn't matter if it's LinkedIn, that's my preferred medium of communication. But you've got all the other different channels as well. Not many people make content. So it's not very difficult to actually be a thought leader. 
Uh, having said that, what are the, one of the things that really works well for me as well is that I love connecting with people. This sort of stuff is my jam. Uh, I would do this day in, day out. So I get to learn from some of the best people in the world. I also then get to interview and connect with others in my industry. And then it also creates some marketing effort in regards to something that we can cut up into short form content. Or if it's not that, fundamentally people listen in and get educated. I mean, I really love learning. So educating naturally goes hand in hand. So yeah, there's a lot of synergies that are there. And so strategically, I sort of thought, well, if I could have a podcast, that would have me stand out compared to pretty much anyone else. Now, there's been a couple of others in the industry here locally that have now started up doing podcasts, but I was sort of one of the first people to do it, especially in regards to support coordinators and also participants, which is the, the market group that we're sort of in. And broadly speaking, the podcast I've got is called The Journey to Conscious Healthcare. So I opened up a few different wings. It covered a couple of bases. One is the participants, which is who we serve. The second is the practitioner base as well. So it's really important to hear from the peak body. So I've interviewed the OTA president, Carol McKinstry, uh, also Scott Willis, who's the Australian Physiotherapy Association president. So there's a lot of really key influential people that I've uh, interviewed and also gone internationally as well with that. Um, so that's the second sort of wing. And then the third wing as well is practitioners. So I can interview uh, influential people, but also then fundamentally have the practitioners get educated about the sector, uh, knowing what's happening. So it covers you know, practitioners, support coordinators and participants. I was just like, well, hey, this is uh, quite efficient. I'm really into that sort of stuff. And it's also really good fun as well. So that was kind of the basis behind it. Yeah. So did you face any challenges trying out this strategy? Any tips or advice for someone that's like, I'm thinking about it, but I don't know it's the right thing or it sounds too hard and too much to do? First and foremost, starts with planning. Now, that's not probably something that I love doing, although I do love the outcomes of doing it. So are you trying to go business to consumer or are you trying to go business to business? Now, it happens that mine might touch on both departments, but predominantly I was going business to to business. So my uh, business, we have a bit of a third party relationship, I guess you would say with support coordinators. And so that was what my strategy was. Uh, And that was where I was mainly focusing. So if I didn't end up getting hundreds and thousands of people watching and listening, that didn't matter so much. It was more, I got connections through just simply interviewing people. I stayed up to date with what was happening. That then had me get enhanced relationships with a shorter period of time as to what I was then getting. So uh, some of the challenges are definitely perfectionism. <laughs> so, you know, you want to you put out something that's perfect. And I sort of got over that in time and, and also obviously then interview skills. So you got to keep the conversation going like what we're doing here, which is quite good, I think. And then, you know, like the other things as well is, well, how are you going to get it out and reach? And ultimately how I did that is I just literally asked people, there's a book called Who Not How, um, yeah, but then Sullivan. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah that's the one. So I reached out to uh, kudos to Mike Scott and also David Bartholomew has done that as well. So there's a few different um, EO members that I reached out to to help guide me on the path. And John Kukora, I don't know if you know him as well. He actually has a podcast in the US. I got a bunch of these things together and just got me a bit of a framework to work from. Uh, the biggest challenge I would say is, uh, you know, what are you doing it for is one of the big things and how are you going to get it out there? Because it turns out, yeah, originally when you're starting, it's you put a lot of effort in and not much back. But then as you start going, you get more and more high-profile people. And, you know, I ended up having uh, Bill Shorten, the NDIS minister, Bill Shorten. He was uh, someone that I ended up interviewing, which was incredible. Joseph Bean Babaro, who's a world expert in autism as well. And uh, there was another, uh, the assistant minister for autism, Emily uh, Bork as well. I interviewed her. So I did that at Adelaide Oval in front of 150 people, which was really cool. 
Um, so, you know, it creates opportunities for you as well. But like you've got to put the time and money in and also the thought behind it, I would say. So that, that are the challenges that are there. You've got to seriously want to do it. This can't be uh, something you're doing for fun where you're just going to give it one or two episodes. You've got to persist to, to get to your 10. Most people don't get to 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what was your mindset shift that made you go, okay, this is it. This is my lifestyle now. Because, you know, a lot of people think that um, I'll make a few videos, see how it goes, right? Versus you or myself, when I decided to do it, I was like, nah, this is it. This is me going. Like, was there a turning point? What was that mindset shift? The biggest thing was I kept having so many people say to me, most people to get to 10. So I was like, well, yeah. I'll show you, I'll get to 10. So um, it was, you know, that determination and persistence. A couple of other things as well, like what we're doing today, this is a, a video recording, I think, as well as also the audio, is there's many great SEO reasons. So search engine optimization. Um, so when I was interviewing really high-profile people, when you searched up in the, the the search bar, so for your name, for example, I might well show up just underneath you, which is awesome if you're uh, interviewing high-profile people. So that also helped get me exposure. Everyone started talking about us a, a bit more as well. So I think like ultimately, I just had faith in that the process would work. Now, you know, it could have been blind faith a, a little bit in some respects. Having said that, these people have been there and done that. So there's a fair level of trust that does come with that. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is probably the persistence in getting it done, having the right people to then, you know, edit the video and get it done as well. That's some of the challenges. So I had a lot of those barriers. I, I picked them up. Hey, this is an issue. How do I address it? And then just got on with business really. So I'm not saying it was easy, but I just made the time. Like you've got it. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. It's like it takes time, it takes practice. And yeah, overall, you will realize that of course, there's not much viewers at the beginning because you were, you know, pretty crap at the beginning. But then over time, the confidence, the people that you meet and the results come after. So looking back at your journey the last four years, if you could tell yourself earlier on or, or meet your old self again, like, is there anything you want to say? Anything you've learned that you wish you'd known earlier? Whoa, what a great question. <laughs> Probably going from the differentiation side of things earlier. Um, so what is it that's special about you? Why you versus someone else, I think is really important. I think it's Allied Health Services, there's quite a lot of them around. So what is different about you? Probably uh, David Bartholom, you said it ages back. Different is better than better. And I don't think it came from him. It probably came from someone else. <laughs> but like as in, certainly agree with that. And I think that, you know, if you can tell and convey that story and message across, I think that that gives you a good strategic position because you're not now sitting there competing with someone else. Um, they ultimately buy what you want or don't want. The ability to change your own beliefs is really important. I think I have done that, but like as in, Go forward and have rock solid confidence in regards to chasing something, but also have this level of openness that you might well be wrong and then be willing to adjust to the data and what you're seeing in front of you. Mm, I love that. I agree with both points as well. And just curious to know, you mentioned that your leadership style is servant and stewardship. Like, Who shaped you? Where did you get that from? And what are some of the leadership training or things that you've done to be able to adopt this ideal style coaching for leaders is a podcast i listen to i've listened to probably about 100 episodes maybe more there's about 650 of them out there so a uh, really great podcast and it goes through i think it's dave so so which i don't know how to say it exactly uh, but they talk through a lot of these different topics i've learned so much through that i've also done the introductors leaders program with landmark so that was a a six or seven month course which was extremely intensive to go through that so that was really good training the diploma of management and diploma of business as well, which covers a lot of those sorts of things. So there has been that, but ultimately, look, first and foremost, <laughs> if you're going to start a business, you are a leader just by virtue of being in that role. And then I've also gone on the pathway of leadership with EO. 
Um, so that sort of helps get me around other different people and then sculpt a little bit more. How is it that you want to go through things? And, you know, there's the people day each single year that we go through with EO. I love seeing all that sort of stuff. Ultimately, at the end of the day, people are your biggest asset, right? So you got to invest in them. So that's why I have that approach. And I also don't have any fun or joy in micromanaging. I think it's really important that you believe. You hire good people, they do a good job. Give them the conditions and everything so that they can flourish. That's kind of my, my take. Love it. You're like a walking library, by the way. You've got all these books and authors that you could just share with us. Where do you find the time to learn and read? Now that you're a business owner, you've got like all these stuff, like how do you kind of design your day to allow you to consume, you know, more learning so you can bring that learning towards for your business? Making the time. I don't think that, you know, people can make an excuse or they can make an effort, right? So yeah. uh, ultimately it's the 80-20 rule, right? If I can have better people mentor, you know, I'm getting mentored from some of the best people in the world, right? Like the, all these authors that have written awesome stuff over many years, they've had many more mistakes and lots of stuff than what I have. And if I can learn from that, shortcut my my learning curve, why not? So I think the big thing there is audiobooks. I definitely listen to a lot of audiobooks as opposed to uh, reading physical books. I still get them every now and then. Uh, but like I said, I would say uh, listening like that. And I also uh, get through them quicker as well because I would usually listen at like 1.6 times the speed, uh, which I've trained myself to do. So it doesn't take me anywhere near as long to listen to a podcast or an audio book. And then another one on which you know, I was an EO member, we get uh, Blinkist is something that a lot of EO members use. And so that's 15-minute books essentially. So that then gives you the ability to work out, hey, is this something that I might want to dive in deeper? And then go through and listen to the six or the 10 or 12 hours, depending on how that is. So I think that a couple of the key strategies. One of the things I would say that is probably game changing though, is that I actually have in my Notion. So I don't know if you use Notion yeah, or not, with the app. Yeah. I literally, every podcast, every book that I go through, I take notes on all of it as well. So I make sure that that learning keeps falling forward and I keep bringing that with me. So that's really, really important. So then it's so many people that they talk about TED Talks. So if you listen to a TED Talk, they're amazing, right? But ultimately, they don't move the needle for many people at all because they get that little dopamine hit because they listen to something like, ah, I'm already a better person. Well, you might be a great person, but you know, did you take any action? And I think that that's really important because if you don't have knowledge without the application of it is useless. To know but not to do is not to know. Really important. Ah, you are so wise, Mr. Trevor. You've inspired me to take more notes. Sometimes I take notes and sometimes I don't. Most of the time I don't. And I think when I do, the information, you'll absorb it more and you can even re-teach it to someone else. So that's really inspiring. So as we wrap up this conversation, I love it, by the way, we can talk all days because I I agree with your leadership style. I like your learning ability and all these book ideas that you give me. So ultimately, what are you doing all this for? What do you want the world to remember Trevor for? It's to inspire fun and aliveness in myself and others. And uh, I've got three core values, family, fun, and freedom. So like ultimately, freedom means self-expression, uh, not just for me, for everyone. I, I fundamentally have a deep belief in that everyone has some goal inside them, whatever that looks like and whatever it is for them to do. So you talk about Gallup, Gallup's like 80% of the world right now is working in jobs that they don't enjoy. I want to have a world and live in a world where people get up and they they can't wait to jump out of bed on a Monday morning because they love what they do. So, you know, why I do what I do is fundamentally to try and make the world a better place. And how I'm doing that, obviously, at the moment is in allied health, but really what I want to see people do is, is thrive in whatever it is that they apply themselves in. And so if we can do a little bit of that, like as in that, that's enough for me. If I can change one, two, five, ten, 
thousand lives, whatever the number is, I think that that's probably meaningful existence. I uh, love it, Trevor. So much clarity, really inspiring goals and legacy. So thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.